politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, independent thinkers, and scorned and forgotten taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. Daniel Horowitz, your host back in the house here at Blaze Media for another terrific day of broadcast of independent conservative news and analysis Wednesday, October 7th. And you know what? I'm starting to feel a little bit of optimism. I know the Grim Reaper, the prophet of woe and lamentation. I do feel a little bit of optimism, a little bit of Isaiah and Ezekiel mixed in with the Jeremiah. Maybe perhaps because I think we're almost at the point of a Nehemiah 13 moment where we're just going to come in and take retribution against all the sinners. I'm starting to see the revolution. I'm starting to see the pushback a little bit. We're starting to see the president finally get back on message, intrepid messaging that this virus A is overstated a thousand degrees. And even the degree of threat that it poses, there is nothing we can do about it in terms of non-pharmaceutical interventions that is abundantly clear. All we can do is cause harm. It's time to face our fears. It's time to not let it dominate our lives. You got Scott Atlas out there is one of the best additions I've ever seen in my life to government personnel. We are proud to have had him on here at Blaze Media, my show, on Steve and a couple other shows. Um, Before Fox started having him on, he is unbelievable. He just doesn't give a darn. And I think we really are in a good position. The question is, is this too little too late? Um, as you well know, I'm not a big fan of the vice president. I just don't think Mike Pence ever was cut from the same cloth of what Trump was elected to do. I, I think Pence was really more from that other wing of the GOP establishment. But we'll see tonight. We'll see. I mean, you know, he is the one who gave us this Fauci, Redfield, Burks garbage uh, task force that Scott Atlas is trying to dismantle and doing a good job of it. So look, maybe maybe Pence will surprise us and do a turnaround. I hope so. Will it be too late for this election? I don't know. I'll be on with Steve Dace today discussing the election a little bit. But either way, I will say this. The rebellion could not have come at a better time. If you want to really understand where we are in America today, I want to give you a story I wrote about in a brief article, brief column, had out in the morning at The Blaze. And that is, in Washington, D.C., for those who speak English as their first language in the school system, They are treated as second-class citizens. You heard that right. D.C. is opening up in-person schooling, but only for illegal aliens. I am not making this up. I am not making this up. The Washington Post actually had this out earlier today, um, or actually, really, I think it was yesterday, and it's truly unbelievable. 
So on Monday, they held a press conference. The mayor, Bowser, and this uh, D.C. public school chancellor, uh, Louis uh, Furby, they announced that beginning November 9th, certain elementary and preschool students will be allowed in-person schooling. Now, first of all, isn't it interesting how it's <laughs> November 9th? And I mean, November 9th is the first full week after the election. So it's, again, you know, a novel virus, like, like we all knew that they already predict that the threat level will attenuate at that moment, even though that's usually when the flu season k- kicks off in, in November, but uh, kind of interesting. But anyway... They note that, well, you know, some kids have a hard time with uh, with online schooling. Well, you think? It's not some kids, it's all kids. But they say kids that are homeless and kids that are, you know, they have special, I guess, educational needs, special ed type of children, meaning not the traditional teachers and, and, and classrooms, but the special ed ones, they could have in person. Okay, so, I mean, again, it, you know, if you're worried, if you have this maniacal thought that this virus is a danger to kids, so, you know, why is it not a danger to those kids? I I mean, again, that makes no sense, so it's all political. But then they add a third category, and that is those that are learning English as their second language. Now, as you all know, there's, there's a term they have in the public school system for many years called ELL, um... English uh, language learner or LEP, limited English proficient student, and it's an entire program. Now, we don't have data as to how many are illegal, but in a place like D.C., where it's been flooded with UACs, they've had, according to my count, uh, nearly 1,500 unaccompanied alien minor children dropped off there Um in uh, since FY 2015, and that's just DC proper. You look at the surrounding counties, like you know Montgomery, PG on the Maryland side, and you know Fairfax um, on the Virginia side, even Prince William. It is it, it's enormous, thousands upon thousands. Um, the, really, the DC area is one of the hot spots of the Central Americans, which they're almost all here illegally. Inevitably, some legal immigrants will be in those programs as well. But I would venture to say that the majority of them are legal. There is about 6,000. According to D.C. government, there's over 6,000 of these students. It, according to what I can see, composes about 12.5% of the total K-12 through population. Probably, if we're talking about elementary school students here, which we are, it would be an even greater share. And they will be able to return to in-person classes. So when you're in D.C., you are paying an enormous amount of income and real estate taxes. You will be paying for the school so your children could stay home while illegal aliens could get in-person instruction. That is America in 2020. Strangers in our own land. Shut down schools because of a fake threat to children, but then open them up for illegal aliens. Again, those who speak English as a first language are now second-class citizens in our nation's own capital city. How about that? But the good news, as I mentioned, it looks like people are finally fighting back. We're going to watch very closely this flashpoint in New York City 
where there's a group of um, Hasidic Jews, kind of a little bit of a branch or sect within Orthodox uh, Judaism. And they're fighting back. They're just going out and holding their, this, it's a Jewish holiday uh, this this week, and they're holding celebrations. They have prayers over the weekend, and Cuomo's well aware of that. So Cuomo and de Blasio, the governor and mayor, they are saying they are shutting down all synagogues. And they're shutting down their businesses, and they're saying these uh, Jews better get with the program. Now, again, as I noted before, if you replace the word synagogue with mosque or replace the word Jew with black, <laughs> just let your mind run wild <laughs> as to the fallout from that. But what I find interesting just watching this play out, and, and I think it's very important to see, I'm, I'm going to be watching a couple of things. Who blinks first? Do the cops listen? The cops in general don't want to do this. I know the... NYPD unions are against this. Will they say, screw you? And that will basically make Cuomo powerless unless he somehow gets his own ad hoc force of state troopers in there or health official panty waist losers in there or something to try to enforce it. So I think that'll be an interesting thing if we could just show there's no teeth to that and that will lead to a wholesale rebellion. So I'm very excited about that. And a thought that crossed my mind is, if you remember two weeks ago, we did a show with Mark Meckler. He's the director of Convention of the States, um, one of the co-founders of the Tea Party, very experienced in, in organizing conservatives. And the problem we've always had is that uh, we had a pretty deep philosophical discussion when we had Mark on a couple days ago about the problem with getting conservatives to actually fight back. There's something about our people that we're just peaceful. We kind of take it while tolerant, while, um, while, uh, you know, these just tyrannical things are tolerable as Jefferson noted in the declaration of independence. We're willing to suffer while it's still tolerable. And we're very risk averse. We don't like causing a scene. It's really something that Antifa and BLM does. And it's almost like an inverse relationship between normalcy, values, morals, and then rebellion. I mean, where is that Tea Party spirit where we kind of just get together and just start dumping the tea in the sea? Like, like no, we're not doing this. So last night, a group of these um, Hasidic Jews got together and they had a mask burning um, demonstration, which, you know, we've been asking for a while, like, where is this? How come we haven't had this? And I think it's interesting if you understand just a brief history of who they are and why you're seeing it with them, but why it really needs to spread to all of us. So these are guys, they're kind of like, you know, kind of like separatists, I guess you'd say. Very austere guys. They wear these funny um, hats, long beards. They keep to themselves. They kind of do their own thing. So all things equal, they're very peaceful. They do their own thing. But if you try to screw with them, well, they're going to keep doing their own thing. They're not going to conform. Um, They they lived in a funny part of... um, 
I guess, Romanian, Hungary, uh, Carpathian Mountains. Uh, there, there used to be an old Yiddish term for them in the 1700s, a German Yiddish term that meant something like Carpathian hillbilly, you know, because it kind of looked funny. They lived in the Carpathian Mountains, which is interesting because now they're really um, very urban. They, they live in New York City mainly, but um, mainly relatively new to the country. They came, I want to say, 1940s, probably after the Holocaust. They came pretty late. So, you know, they, they, they kind of have that old um, culture they've had from the 1700s in Central Europe intact. And they do their thing. And it's funny how it's, it's kind of people like that that are just going to push back. The question is, is this going to go mainstream? And I think we should watch and learn. So it's very heartening to finally see people push back. Of course, you know what's funny? So remember the courts always said that Trump can't enforce immigration law because they felt he doesn't like Hispanics. And they felt that they could take statements he made and misconstrue them to denude him of lawful powers that he had. Well, what Cuomo is doing is unconstitutional, whether it's equal or not equally applied. It's First Amendment. But I mean, dude, the guy has a paper trail where he blatantly said Orthodox Jews. I mean, it's 100% he's singling them out. But watch for the courts to totally say this is fine. Because, again, we live in a system where, with the judiciary, what's up is down, what's down is up. Everything's discrimination except for what actually is. Everything's a violation of the Constitution except for what violates the the right to worship freely, property rights, free unrestricted movement of your personage. But we're starting to see a rebellion. We're starting to see, we noted that... um, Professor Gupta, Kolderoff, and Bhutacharya, they're from Stanford, Oxford, and Harvard. They got together and said, this is crap, it's harmful, it's built on a lie. The virus is very heterogeneous. This stuff isn't working, it's just harming. It's time we rethink our approach. This is from Yahoo. Scientists argue against lockdown and urge return to normal. Now to avoid future health concerns. Turns out that almost 2,500 medics and scientists from around the world have signed their declaration. See, that's the thing. It takes leaders. It takes people willing to jump in the sea when no one else is willing to do it, and people will follow. Everyone is terrified. Everyone's like, the science says the mask and the lockdown. and like Most normal people that work in the profession know this is garbage, but... It's like a career ender. But you have powers by power by numbers. So New York City, these these guys are getting together in large numbers and rebelling. And now we're seeing at the, the science level, 2,500 medics and scientists. I'm really very optimistic that this is going to create a flood. And the dam is going to burst. So... You know, this is getting a lot of good press. I was afraid the press would ignore it. But um, they actually are really giving it a lot of press. It's everywhere, certainly in the European media, 
more so than, of course, the American media, which is even worse than the European media. But that's where we are. Are we turning the corner? Are the reinforcements arriving? Now is the time to say no. Now is the time in your community to gather all like-minded people and push back against the school Nazis, push back against your local officials, make it personal, make it up front. Don't just focus on the presidential election where other than filling out a ballot for three seconds, there's not much you can do to influence that. It will be what it will be. We'll find out. But at a local level, there's a lot you can do to give hell to your local sheriffs, policemen. Get a group of people and meet with them and say, look, we're your biggest supporters. We know you're under siege from BLM. But what you're not going to do is turn around and be a fascist and enforce unconstitutional and harmful, capricious edicts. Get in the faces of your school board officials, get in the face of your county council and county, whatever they're called, manager, judge, executive, commissioner. This is where we need to head. Because the evidence is so compelling now of what we said before that basically this has the fatality rate of a pandemic flu, very heterogeneous threat, The people that are threatened are locked down anyway. And the sooner we achieve herd immunity, the sooner we can bring them out. That for whatever degree of death we do have, it is unavoidable. Nothing we are doing works. The collateral damage of mental and physical health, of loss of education, and especially in third world countries, loss of vaccines and and uh, famine, and and really even in in our country, the vaccinations of young children. I'm just saying all these people are so into vaccinations, like that's the God, the vaccine. (laughs) We've come full circle when they're preventing them from getting vaccines. It, It needs to stop. The evidence from Sweden versus the other countries, the evidence of masks not working at all, again and again we're seeing unescapable, unavoidable evidence. So let's go through some of this. We noted earlier this week that an Irish official, one of the top WHO officials, estimated that 750 million people have been infected. If you take their death rate, their their number of deaths that WHO has out, which is a million, that's one out of 750, that's 0.13, which is the exact average of the last decade of... um, Flu IFRs. Now, to be fair, just to be very clear, it's the global IFR, not the American IFR, because I'm using I'm I'm and I'm going to be very transparent because I don't have global data. I'm using the implied inferred global infection fatality rate of COVID based on what the WHO is saying, and then I'm comparing it against the U.S flu and IFRs of the last decade. So it's not an exact match. I I would venture to say that in the US, the IFR is a little bit higher. It's not going to be 0.13. It's going to be more like maybe 0.23. So one-tenth of a decimal point over. But that's still probably on par 
with the 2018 flu season. Remember, a lot of the deaths are BS, but I'm factoring that in when I say 0.23, because if you look at 200,000, 210,000 deaths, they'll, they'll get you like 0.4, 0.5, 0.6 or something, but that's that's nonsense. Um, my best estimate is that the real number of deaths are probably about 130,000 based on just looking at the excess deaths, CDC data, um, and that likely about 60 million people, I believe, have gotten it in this country. So that's where that that's kind of where I am. So it's going to be a little bit higher, more like 0.2. But that is a fraction of the 3.4% death rate that justified what we're doing in March, you know, what we began doing in March. And again, even those 130, it's not 210, but let's say 130 that are legitimate COVID deaths. How many of them would have died within the year? And I would say a super majority. There are examples where people had their life cut short, as there is from pneumonia every year and other type of viruses and other tragic, rare things that just happen. Car accidents, things like that, they do happen. But that is the reality. That's the important thing here. And remember, you look at the deaths. We had the last two flu seasons were so mild. And last season, according to CDC, there were 22,000 deaths. Just 22,000 this past flu season. They're preliminary numbers. That's like the lowest of the decade. So again, you got to look over a three-year average. You average it out. If you, you know, for this year, that year, you put it together. It really fundamentally is not causing widespread tragedy. But more importantly, what are you going to do about it? And that's what we've learned. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I want to read to you an unbelievable, unbelievable resource from... um, Where is this? It's in Science Mag. Okay? So Science Magazine, where a group of researchers, uh, University of California, California, La Jolla, San Diego, University of Maryland, I think um, Virginia Tech, I believe, and Harvard, uh, about six or seven of them, they wrote a four-paragraph letter to Science Mag on Monday expressing urgent need to educate people about aerosols, which we've said for months we had. We had a researcher from France on months ago talking about this. And implicit in what they're saying between the lines, actually they say it straight out, but then they can't admit it, is that masks, as we noted on yesterday's show, if you haven't heard it, Blockbuster's show with Ian Miller, who has all those great charts on masks, they don't work one iota in other words all the lockdowns and social isolation they work enough in the worst possible way like to agonizingly drag this out doesn't stop the spread at all but it agonizingly drags it out for longer than it needs to be and makes it even more dangerous masks literally do not work at all not at all 
So if you notice, before I get to their letter, CDC came out with a bombshell on Monday. Yup, there is aerosol transmission, which suspends in the air and could go more than six feet, primarily when you're indoors without ventilation. Now, there's a problem. They can't out and out say that this is the 800-pound gorilla in the room because then it's a total admission that the six feet is crap and the masks are crap and that essentially, on some level, at least when you're indoors, this is almost on par with measles and tuberculosis and there is no way you're stopping it. It's going to have to run its course. But that is what it means. But they can't admit it. So if you read their thing, they say, no, no, it's still the droplets. It's the droplets. But but the, but you should know that there are like more you know atomized particles that are much smaller and they don't drop and they suspend and they could you know but but it's very uncommon. It's only but then but then what's funny is they say it's only certain scenarios. But then they describe the scenarios as being enclosed in an enclosed area with poor ventilation. Well, folks, unless you invest in a state of the art ventilation system, in most places that's essentially anything indoors. So that that's essentially everything. I mean, outdoors was never really the issue. We always do that. So like, basically, unless you're going to tell me that you're prepared to never go indoors ever again in life, you can't avoid it. But they, they say it's very, it's rare. Now, we always knew that's bullcrap. Once you admit that it's not just droplets, but as we always knew, there's virions these atomized, like very micro stuff that you need a an a, um, a scanning elect a, a electron microscope to to see it. Not even a regular microscope could see it because it's twenty to thirty times smaller than bacteria. So, folks, folks, you're done. Your goose is cooked. We know it. But now these researchers are saying it. So in this letter dated Monday, October 5th, these researchers are very frantic. They express an urgent need to basically educate the public on what you guys already knew, that there's a difference between a droplet and let's just call them atomized particles. Meaning they're using this like generic word of aerosol and people are very confused about what that means. So they, they think it means droplets. Now, CDC was making this distinction and finally talked about it, except they were like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's, just, it's very uncommon. These guys were like, no way, Jose. They made the point that I have always been making. That what's uncommon is the droplets. Not that they're uncommon, they exist, but for that to be the transmission. Here's why. Quote, viruses in droplets that are larger than 100 um, micrometers, okay? So micrometers are small, but 100 of them, that's already, that's already visible. Okay, so 100 micrometers is the diameter of like the width of a hair. It's, 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 it's like the smallest thing, but you could see it. Okay, that's it's a little, little droplet. 100 micrometers 
falls to the ground in seconds within two meters of the source and can be sprayed like tiny cannonballs onto nearby individuals. Because of their limited travel range, physical distancing reduces exposure to these droplets, as we noted. And again, you know, the fear would be maybe it gets on your hands and you you, like you touch your nose with it or something. But if you wash your hands and whatever and people are sanitary about it, you're not going to have it that often. Unless you say, I sneeze into your mouth or something, or I spit into your mouth. The only time that happens is, for those of you who have young kids or you have a baby that you're carrying on your like shoulder and they sneeze, then that happens all the time. But typically, it's pretty disgusting. Even under normal times, people don't get in each other's faces that close, and, and certainly not now. So there's no way that could have ever been responsible for this degree of prolific spread. It just made no sense. It's gravity. They drop. That's it. It's a one. It's a one shot. You can get a half court shot, but it's rare. You'll have. You, you're not. It's not going to be common. They go on to explain that viruses in aerosols can remain suspended in air for many seconds to hours, like smoke, and be inhaled. They are highly concentrated near an infected person, so they can infect people most easily in close proximity. But aerosols containing infection, infectious virus can also travel more than two uh, meters and accumulate in poorly ventilated indoor air, leading to super spreading events. And we always knew that. We always knew that. When you, and it's not just coughing and sneezing, but just breathing and t- certainly talking, but even breathing. If anyone indoors anywhere has the virus, he will spread it. Okay? You could talk about the stupid mask containing the droplets, but it's not the droplets that are getting in people's mouths. They go to the damn floor. It's the suspended aerosols. Let, 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 let's just, let me just give you, before I read more of what they said, let me just give you the um, perspective here on the size. Again, um, the the size of a width of a hair is about um, one hundred microns. Okay, that is uh, a hundred thousand because it's a hundred thousands. So it's about 100,000 nanometers. Let's get this down to the lowest increment. Not microns or micrometers, but nanometers, okay? So a width of a hair is 100,000 nanometers, which is 100 microns, okay? The surgical mask filtrations filtrate about... Three, they're, they're, the pores are three microns, about 3,000 nanometers. So, yeah, I mean, it could block like hair, okay? I mean, the width of the hair, droplets. N- none of us disagree to that, okay? And that is roughly the size of bacteria. A lot of bacteria are about three microns, although there are bacteria that are one or two microns which again is one to 2,000 nanometers. The size of SARS-CoV-2 virons is, ranges, they say, the best research is 60 to 140 nanometers. 
So if you average it, it's 100. To keep it simple, 100 nanometers is 0.1 microns, one-tenth. So it's about 120th to 130th the size of bacteria, which is microbiology. You need a microscope to even see that. And it's about one ten thousandth the width of the diameter of a hair, aka one ten thousandth the size of a typical droplet. Okay? So now you could understand, A, why they're so light and could suspend in air and kind of float around if you don't have wind like, like outdoors or, or, or a particular filtration system indoors that is designed to disperse that and drop them. Now, one of our listeners, Alexander, Alexander Rogers on Twitter, you could follow him. He put out something interesting. We're talking about surgical masks, but you know, because of the comfort level, at least half the people are wearing these like cloth masks. He, he took a look at cotton, and, he's, and he noted that the hydraulic diameter of cotton is roughly 200 microns. So actually, technically, certain even droplets could fit in, because a lot of droplets are 100 microns. They are visible. They could fit in through the fibers. That's the irony. I mean, if I spit on your face, if you have your entire face, let's say, covered with a cloth mask, like a like a cotton mask at least, you'll feel some of the wetness. So that that that's not even microbiology. But anyway, he picked the largest diameter of the Viron. So let's say 140 nanometers, not the 60. 140, okay? That would mean that the cotton is 1,429 times the size of the larger aerosols. Okay, so let's say almost 1,500 times the size. To visualize that, what he, what he noted was that if you want to just visualize what the, this means, it's like a pickup truck driving through a tunnel, but the tunnel, in order to have that same um, comparison, the tunnel would have to be 1.8 three miles wide nearly two miles wide it's driving a truck through a nearly two mile wide tunnel that is what wearing a cloth mask in front of these aerosols is like and remember if you're seeing this degree of spread that's where the bulk of it has got to come from because the droplets freaking drop they don't, they, they, they tend to drop. And again, people are religiously keeping a distance and there's a whole stigma around that. So legitimately, you're not going to be up close. It doesn't make any sense that you're going to be spreading it. People are very careful. And again, there's such a stigma against sneezing and coughing. Most of those people are staying home. So it's mainly just talking and singing and breathing. So you're not even going to have many droplets from that, if any. It's the atomized things. If you are indoors, it will spread. There's nothing you can do. That is the reality. That th This is the science. You don't have to take my word for it. Take their word. They're panicking over the spread. Well, how the hell is it spreading so prolifically five months into people being trained into universal mask wearing and universal keeping at least six feet apart? 
That is the only explanation, aside from the fact that I do believe fomites do account for much more than they're willing to admit, just the touching, there's fecal oral, which I'm not going to get into. But this is why it doesn't work. You would have to say that you'd have to have a full lockdown forever. But again, even the March lockdown, it was a joke. Home Depot was open. Walmart was open. Target was open. Every grocery store is open. Medical obviously has to be open. Tons of things are opened. That was the joke. The, the, even that degree of lockdown, they could only get through with keeping half the things opened. So you're always going to have indoors because people have to live. So it's always going to spread. Even if you would go back to a marsh style lockdown. And then remember, once you have ample areas for people to get it, where, where is the primary spread thereafter? In your own household. So unless you're prepared to have people living in um, sleeping bags outside in their yard and never go inside with their own family and then not have Walmart and doctor's offices and supermarkets and anything else, in other words, we're going to die, you're going to spread this. That is the reality. You are going to spread this and we see it. We see it with Sweden having spread it, but then achieved, you know, de facto main herd immunity. They don't have problems despite not wearing masks and not doing any of this stuff. Whereas in Israel, they had religious mask wearing and very severe restrictions with penalties in place for months with little spread. And then it blew up because once it became time for the virus to hit there, for whatever reason, it goes later there. At the end of the day, there were still plenty of people indoors and it spread. The mask is worthless. Okay? Basically, the surgical masks are 30 times larger. And again, that's when they're working. You know, people don't dispose of them and they wear them again and again and it winds up being even worse. The cloth ones could be hundreds of times and the cotton, you know, 1,400 times larger. A form-fitted N95 will be three times larger than the average, but possibly five times larger than maybe some of the smaller Virons. So how many people wear it properly, form-fitted N95, all the time? Because if you did, if you wore it for seven hours, you're going to have pulmonary problems. I'll tell you that much. The two, as we noted yesterday, the two work inversely. If you're not going to have health problems from the elongated wearing, protracted wearing of the mask, that means the mask is garbage. And by the way, notice that these researchers say they, they compare it to particles of smoke. Isn't that interesting? Our government is, I, I was one of the first to do an article on this. I think I was the first. Whether it was state health departments, the EPA, OSHA, they all noted that during the wildfires, which we actually have them going on at now at West, don't walk around in smoke, smoky areas, even outdoors, thinking that you're safe if you wear a mask. They're noted, not going to work. Well, you know what? Smoke particles on average, I looked this up, wood smoke particles are on average one micron. 1,000 nanometers, um, smaller than most bacteria, but on average 10 times larger than SARS-CoV-2 virons. 
and they said it doesn't work to block those. This is an utter lie. It mask wearing is it's like it's like the Tower of Babel, like the people that thought they could fight God by building a tower. That, that's what it's like. Like, you know, I'm gonna punch a hurricane in the face or something. Like, I mean, it just it's just mentally ill. It really is. But anyway, here's their punchline. Here's the beauty of where they admit that it's garbage, but then they can't fully admit it because they'll get in trouble. Individuals with COVID-19, many of whom have no symptoms. So that I don't know if I agree with. I I think um, a lot of people do have symptoms, but they just don't know. And if they literally don't have any, I really do believe they don't really spread much. But anyway, they say they release thousands of virus-laden aerosols and far fewer droplets when breathing and talking. Thus, one is far more likely to inhale aerosols than be sprayed by a droplet. And so the balance of attention must be shifted to protecting against airborne transmission. So that is a clear, we just proved scientifically with physics and microbiology that there's no way a mask could help. The problem is they can't say that, even though they just said that. So instead, they have a throwaway line at the end. So, so the question is, so what, what is the solution? Now, the real answer is there is none. So they kind of have to BS and say, in addition to the existing mandates of mask wearing, social distancing, and hygiene efforts. Well, notice how weak they are. They don't even say, yeah, yeah, masks are great, continue wearing. They say, well, in addition to the existing thing, we urge public health officials to add clear guidance about the importance of moving activities outdoors, improving indoor air using ventilation and filtration, and improving protection for high-risk workers. In other words, what they're saying is, go outdoors. Which, I got to give them credit, that is true. If your position is that we cannot get, I cannot afford to get the virus, I'm going to die if I get the virus, you cannot go indoors. The mask is worthless. The six feet ain't going to help. If you are worried, if you are someone that is very high risk, I, I say it all the time, I would tell you, have someone else go indoors for you. And that's very unfortunate because we're already seven months into this. And how much longer could these people do that? Which is why we have an obligation to burn it out. The answer is there is nothing we can do to stop this. Fortunately, God did not give us a virus with a 3.4% kill rate that there's nothing we can do about. It's just like, imagine if you said the entire country, the entire globe will not get the cold this year. That That's how retarded it is, what they're saying. There's nothing you can do. But again, it roughly has a pandemic flu kill rate, and it's mainly people that God planned for it to be their time this year anyway. Really, most people will not have their lives cut short because of this. And really, I mean, this is hitting my area, like my congregation, neighbors. It finally hit. Like, no one really had it before, or at least knew they had it. Everyone I know now has it. Central Maryland, it's really, it's really, it's come back. Almost everyone I know, it's less than a flu. Often less than a bad cold. It's like a, like a cough with some quirky symptoms. 
Most I know don't even have fever. Maybe some had low-grade fever, but most don't even have fever. So it's not a flu. Some people, the worst cases, have it on a flu level. In any given area, out of you know hundreds of thousands of cases, you'll, you, you're going to have a few hospitalizations. Unfortunately, you're going to have, out of those, a few deaths. But it, it, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Some people I know lose their sense of smell, which is kind of annoying. But again, it's nothing you're going to shut down society for. I'm pretty convinced I have it. I've been around people who have it. My friends have it. I I have this quirky, like, between the shoulder blades and the chest, both the front and the back, like these... Pain is not even the word, like a sensation. It's kind of like a hybrid between an extremely mild heartburn, acid reflux, and the Charlie horse, if you know what I mean. But like... If I wouldn't be obsessed about this, I wouldn't even notice it probably. So it makes me wonder, but I'm I'm, I'm not getting tested. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be around people that, you know, I've been with my parents a lot, but now until, you know, this goes away, I'll stay away from them. At least indoors, but um, I'm not getting tested. But I'm just telling you, that's how subtle it is. Certainly in younger and healthier people. But even I know a lot of older people that are getting very, very subtle things. It's like my father had a cough. You know, it got better. He still had the coughs coughs linger for a long time. Now it's more in his nose. No other symptom. He's like, this is bullcrap. It's a cold. And I told him, well, could be. It could be COVID. You just don't know. For most people, I want to be clear. You know, when when flus go around the neighborhood, everyone I know who gets it, they get it. They get three to five days of fever. They're in bed for a week. Most people I know are not bedridden from this virus. It's kind of like funny, quirky symptoms. And again, we have that all the time. We just don't know. There's like, especially these funny stomach viruses. You have like weird, you know, not the classic cough, fever, dizziness, Lethar, you know, um, uh, just weakness, lethargic, happens all the time. This is the big lie. Thankfully, Scott Atlas is saying it's time we finally face down the virus. Hopefully, the president sticks to that message. Hopefully, he gets Pence on board. But Sweden, Sweden, according to Deutsche Bank, dodged the COVID economic bullet. UK Telegraph has an article on that. Their GDP will fall by just 3.3%. According to Yinon Weiss, his great charts out here, Sweden has normal life. Spain now has 25 times the deaths per million. So he, what he did is he, he looked from August 6th to October 6th. Because the point of that is to show that Sweden got it over with. Spain has 25 times the deaths per capita. France has 10 times. UK has 7 times. All for nothing. They destroyed their countries for nothing. Probably killed more people from this too. And by the way, I want to note, a lot of people forget that that, that Sweden 
has Stockholm. We view like Americans think like the Nordic is like the the polar bears. It's like, you know, some far flung Arctic, whatever, like there's no one there. But Stockholm is a big city and it's a very particularly dense city. It's by far it's like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's 10 to 11 times more dense than Oslo. So it's not fair to compare it to Norway, aside from the fact that Norway has just as little mask wearing as they do. And really, they didn't have much more in terms of restrictions. And now they've they've pretty much gone the Sweden route. So if anything, Norway's excellent result is doesn't go in their bucket. It goes in our bucket of, you know, non-panic policies. But just keep in mind, Sweden has a dense population in Stockholm. And in that dense population, they have an immigrant population that's very much African, which for whatever reason, it's funny because people living in Africa seem to have very low death rates, but the black individuals in Western countries seem to have much higher hospitalization rates. I don't know the reason for that. Um, you could speculate. Maybe there is real you know, research. I don't know. But that, that seems to be a data-driven fact. So in other words, Sweden, you can't blame Sweden for having relatively more deaths than the other countries. Stockholm is about as dense as Chicago, just so you know. Um, almost pretty much as dense as Chicago and almost as dense as Boston and and, and Philadelphia. It's it's over a thousand people per square mile. So you know, that is pretty darn dense. So don't don't give me this thing like, oh, yeah, Sweden's a tiny country, you know, don't worry. Like, most of their problems came from Stockholm. So that's with that. That is with that. These countries destroyed themselves for nothing. You know Argentina? Argentina now has the distinction, okay, of being the country with the longest lockdown, 201 days, they now have the world's highest positivity rate and the world's highest seven-day COVID death rate. Jordan Schachtel, my buddy, put that out. Talk about sunk costs. They are 201 days into a lockdown. They have the highest death rate in the last seven days, the highest positivity rate. And they are at the point where they are freaking burning bodies. I mean, this is how much we've regressed. We've regressed 500 years in medical thinking and scientific acumen. These people are flat earthers. I know this because a lot of these, there were these um, Jewish organizations that were putting out information about this because um, the Jewish communities in... uh, in Buenos Aires had this problem, and I know obviously a lot of Christians feel the same way, um, that it's against Jewish burial to, to cremate people. And they were mandating cremation of people who died from COVID. That's how sick they were acting. Look at Sweden and look at Argentina. Imagine killing yourself, cutting your head off all for nothing, all for a lie. But this is where we are. We have Governor Jay Inslee of Washington saying that, quote, what aircraft carriers were in World War II, masks are today. 
This is an illness. This is a psychosis. Although, coming from an elected official, I don't even know if they believe that. To me, it's, it's more control. More of a megalomaniac. Well, folks, you know what? Masks are like aircraft carriers. They're like using an aircraft carrier to fight a nuclear bomb. <laughs> okay? Not in World War II. It's like fighting a nuclear bomb. That's what using a mask against the virus is. Sick, sick people. And then we have lie after lie. In Belgium, 50% of the cases were old in one lab because the jerk-off PCR tests. Arizona is now admitting that almost 3,000 hospitalizations never actually occurred. They scrubbed them from their aggregate because it was an error. One after another, we're seeing the lies debunked. Obviously, we're seeing uh, SafeGate. This is San Francisco's big news website. No link between California school reopenings and virus cases. One after another after another, the lies are taking their toll. But again, the good news is the president has finally gotten his personnel in shape. I don't know why Fauci is still allowed to go out there, but Atlas is directly fighting him. And, um, you know, this is something we should all be proud of. He said in an interview with uh, uh, our buddies at American Greatness, the president isn't going to hide from the public or the press. He wants to go to work. He wants to see Americans, and he wants to interact with others. He won't hide in the basement or frozen in fear behind a mask. And he directly called out the lockdowns and the people pushing them. We're sacrificing our children. We're eliminating socialization. It's harming low-income families because the lockdown is a luxury of the rich, which it really is. <laughs> he, he, um, he said denying herd immunity is like denying gravity. And um, he just totally... <laughs> He called Robert Redfield an outlier. <laughs> I forgot. There's some quote from him where he basically is like, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> there's these guys saying that it's like a vaccine. Um, I, I give him a lot of credit. He, the guy, ju- and I, I could just, I'm not going to elaborate on this publicly. I'm just going to tell you the guy doesn't give a darn. He just doesn't care. You know, all I, I get a lot of friends that finally get into government, they get into the Trump administration, and they all disappoint me. Rather than like doing battle with them, they get bought into it, and then they try to convince me to stand down. No, things are getting better. No, no. I could just tell you, he's the exact opposite. He's even more fired up than he ever was. So I'm feeling a little bit giddy about that, this rebellion in New York, the rebellion of these epidemiologists and scientists Look, we got to latch on to some light amidst the darkness. Send me your comments, concerns, questions to dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Join our Facebook pages at Miniman Speakeasy and Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. You could always follow me on Twitter at RMConservative. If you love this show, send it to 100 of your friends, neighbors, relatives that need convincing. Also, do me a favor and drop a five-star rating at iTunes. It really does help with the algorithms. We need to spread the word. 
We need to spread freedom. We need to spread empowerment, not fear and panic. Thank you for listening, and God bless.